The B2B sales world is in turmoil. Quota attainment is down. Revenue growth is slowed. Turnover is up. All of this is in the face of ever-increasing pressure to perform. Is it a surprise that the average sales leader stays in place for only 12 to 18 months? That's barely enough time to start executing the strategy. These problems are fixable, and we are going to serve the sales leadership community with this show. I'm Lucas Price. I've launched and exited B2B startups and built elite sales organizations. Now I want to give back by bringing you this podcast, Building Elite Sales Teams. It will be full of actionable best practices to help you excel as a sales leader. We're going to burn the churn. Let's get back to winning. Building Elite Sales Teams is on. Welcome to another episode of Building Elite Sales Teams. Excited for what we have here today. We're going to be talking with Brian Wiener. We're going to be talking about some of Brian's principles on building elite sales teams, including the importance of putting people first, leading with transparency, the importance of accountability, and building a, a welcome and inclusive environment. Brian has been a sales leader for over seven years, leading SMB, mid-market, and enterprise sales teams and customer success, MarTech, and cybersecurity spaces. Brian, what else should our listeners know about you? Oh, there's so much. I'll start by saying I am a father of two, two, two beautiful children, two and a four-year-old. And then, yeah, most recently, I was actually part of a pretty large scaling effort, actually took over and scaled a team up to about 50 AEs and had five regional directors reporting to me. So obviously a lot of that will come into play in our conversation today around how I kept those principles intact, but happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So tell us, Brian, when you think from foundational principles of building an elite sales team, what are the things that come to mind for you? Yeah, I think first and foremost, it, it, it's going to start and end with the people. You cannot build a strong team. You can't scale it, you surely can't implement change and process, et cetera, if you don't have the right people. And so for me as a leader, I think something that I've just always believed in outside of just sales as a whole is you need to invest in your people, you need to treat them like people and support them. And so throughout my career, because surely there's no manual for how to, to be a good leader, you learn by doing and by watching the people around you. I always try to look at it from the other side when I was an individual contributor or how I've been managed in the past. And I think where I've had the best experience is when, for lack of a better term, wasn't gaslit. People told me how it was. They were honest and open with me and frankly supported me and treated me like that. I think I've always brought that to the table. And I think as I've built teams from the beginning, even my very first leadership role, it started with let me get to know you. Let me understand who you are and frankly, what drives you. And I think I've tried to, to build on that throughout my leadership career. When I think of people, I think of kind of two parts of it is how do I get the right people on my team? And then how do I enable them to succeed? And so let's talk about both of those. But the first part is making sure you have the right people on your team. What are some of the things that you think about in terms of making sure that you get the right people on your team? Yeah, I think from, from the very beginning as a leader, especially if you're hiring one or a hundred, and understanding of what good looks like. What are you looking for? I think there's so many experiences I've had and also just heard from other people in our space and other leaders where I'm moving so fast. We're just hiring like crazy. And what ends up happening is you spend a ton of time bringing people on. It's a huge investment. And ultimately they don't work out for a variety of different reasons. For me, I think that there's a very baseline understanding of this is the job description and getting a full understanding of what that looks like and what it entails and what's important to you as a leader. Are we heavily outbound driven business? Are we largely inbound? Is it a mix? Are we working with customers? You have to take all of those factors into account because 
it's not a one size fits all type of role. And you need to look for the skills that align with that type of thing. So for me, it's about understanding what good looks like. I think it's about if there's a pre-existing team for me, when I've come into organizations, understanding what they've done that works, what doesn't taking the best of the best. So if there's an embedded sales team, surely you don't need to come in and reinvent the wheel, but you need to understand what's working and how can you replicate that? Obviously that helps you from a scaling perspective. So I think it starts with understanding how and what you're looking for. And I think across the board, it comes down to communication, working with your recruiting team, making sure that you've articulated those pieces clearly to them so that you're not spinning your wheels on bringing people in that don't fit that criteria. And then ongoing from there, it comes back to enablement. And a lot of this comes back to the type of product you're selling, the sales velocity, who you're selling to, the type of customer. But all of it comes down to, you've got to be able to plan. You've got to be able to take a step back and understand what your end goal is, and then building out the pieces or the components that make up that ideal. I love that. I think that a lot of times the reality is that most of the job descriptions out there are too generic to really understand exactly what you need in a candidate. And one of the ways that I like to to try to help bring clarity to that process is to think about what are the goals of this role and how are they going to accomplish those goals and get that written down for the people that are part of the hiring team. So that like a little thought experiment, like a year from now, two years from now, what would make me say this was a successful hire? Or conversely, what would make me say that it was not a successful hire? And so to go deeper, get more specific than the job description, so that which I think is, speaks to what you're talking about in terms of getting a lot clearer on what you're actually looking for. I'll take it one step further, because I think I ignored actually the second part of your question, which is what's the makeup then, right? So you've understood some of those core skills. But a lot of the soft skills are what really drive this because look, you mentioned two years down the road, think about how much has changed just in the last six months, let alone two years. So there's can theoretically be an evolution of what the role entails. So I think pieces for me, because in my career, I've had many opportunities where I've been really working with 10 years, vets, seasoned, they just need someone to help remove obstacles and guide. I've typically worked with earlier career sellers that have the right personality traits, but need that guidance and support. And so for me, it's intellectual curiosity. You need to have someone that has a thirst for knowledge. They're always trying to learn. You don't need to be an expert, but you need someone that's going to come in, especially, and you can usually tell us in the first 30 days who those people are, but I need to learn. I want to absorb as much as possible because I want to be able to explain and be an expert in this field. Proactivity is really important. If someone's coming to you and just constantly asking you, tell me the answer. I want someone that's going to go look and find and turn over some stones before they come to me. And I think those typically come through as someone that's going to be, oh, and then obviously being coachable is going to be the biggest part of it because you need someone that can listen and hear and take that feedback. When you take those pieces together alongside, I need someone that has out of bound experience, whatever it may be, that's typically the right sort of makeup for someone from a sales perspective and can roll with the punches as organizational goals change, the needs of the roles change, maybe we consolidate and now you're managing customers and new business. So much can happen. But you want, as a sales leader, as a hiring manager, you want to be able to maximize that effort because it's a lot of work, recruiting, hiring, interviewing, and then not that, but just the investment in onboarding and getting them up to speed. Tell me if I have this right. Intellectual curiosity, pro proactive coachability. Those are three that you're looking for in basically every sales role. Those are going to be three traits that you're looking for. Do I have that right? I, yeah, I believe so. And what do you do to evaluate whether a candidate has those traits? So that's a tougher question, right? And I think that there's a couple of different ways to approach it. 
I think where I've been fortunate where I've worked in organizations where creating a career path, a career path is been a big priority for the organization. So I think in, in that type of instance, you can actually evaluate those pieces while they're an SDR as an example and understand how they're taking on those pieces. But I think going back to what I said around sort of the criteria, I think the more objective you can create, a more objective process you can create around identifying those pieces. We've had a rubric in, in one of my prior organizations where talk to me about something new you've taught yourself in the last 30 days. We need to get real life examples. I think that, of course, interviewing an external person for a role, people are really well trained on how to interview at this day, in this day and age. There's a wealth of material, so it's hard to vet those pieces out. But which is why I tend to, to lean towards let's for a path, let's bring someone in that's earlier stage that can learn our business. So I think that there's always risk when you bring someone in there. Actions speak louder than words. And I think when you may be too late once you brought them into the organization, but those pieces I spoke about come through very clearly as you begin to interact with them, either as a front or second line manager, and you see how they operate in those first 30 days, because that's really where you can get your gut check on if this was a good hire or not. Good reminder, when you're building your organization and you think like, all right, we're trying to find top performers. We're trying to find consistent performers and a certain percentage of them are going to come be developed internally. And, and you always should keep in mind, Hey, I don't have to find everyone if we have the right development program, if we're building the right kind of bench. hundred percent. And I think, look, it, it has a massive impact on ramp time. I think ramp time for every business is different. I would, in most cases, I would rather have someone that's proven themselves as an SDR been part of the company, understand the environment. Hopefully we're building processes around how an SDR collaborates with the AE so they get a sense of what the role looks like. And then you're filling in the gaps once they get promoted, if they've demonstrated those capabilities versus interview as best you can. And then there's somewhat of an unknown quantity when they come in the door. So to your point, yes, you want to have a balance of both. I think always, because at the same time, external experience and that perspective, when you think about the overarching team is invaluable to the growth of the organization, to the team itself, how it operates, being in another sales org and understanding what's worked there could surely help impact it. But strictly from a hiring perspective, I think if you're looking for probability of success, I would say if you've got the right framework around it, my preference would be towards internal promotion and growers from there. Can you try to give our listeners really tactical, practical advice about how to think about that in terms of when is someone eligible for promotion? How do you consider if you have a couple people eligible for promotion and one role, how do you decide which one to promote into that? What's some of the practical advice that you'd give? Just like anything, having as much objective criteria as you can is helpful because for one, you want to create a really good experience. So just from an interviewing perspective, whether you're internal, external, as an organization, you want to represent really strongly and you want to be organized and ensure that you're not playing favorites in any way, shape or form. You want to be able to promote the best person or individual. Depending on the type of business you're in, I think the key metrics that are typically important that you talk about Overall work ethic and how you define that is that just number of meetings booked, opportunities created, the quality of the meetings. I would surely be speaking with their frontline manager, or if you run that team or someone else, understanding organization skills, time management. Going back to actually some of the things we just spoke about a few minutes ago, that JD or that objective criteria you're going to be communicating with your recruiting team should be a real guiding light for you in building those pieces out. So it starts with getting that key criteria down. Some of the soft criteria as well around team leadership, the willingness and to support in certain areas. I think showing if someone's really hungry and interested in the opportunity, 
man of the product, understand of it? Have they been proactive in seeking support and help? I think that's always a telling factor when you have someone that's reaching out to you before they're even eligible or reaching out to other AEs. Tell me what worked for you and getting that feedback from them. I think you have to do your due diligence around those areas. And then I think the second part, it's clearly communicating what those expectations are. This has to be objective. You can't be wishy-washy around it because what ultimately wanted up happening in your example, if you don't have a very clear, concise criteria and timeline around what that looks like, you actually run the risk of really alienating one of the employees that could be potentially eligible. And then not only are they not getting promoted, but it actually may impact their work overall. It's not always that black and white and that easy. But I think the more upfront work you do around those key pieces and building out a really strong piece there in the process. And some of that to answer your question, I think tenure, time and seat is really important. When you have a sales manager position, don't just promote your top performing seller into the sales management position. And if you're looking for a promotion, which of your salespeople are actually a fit for management? If we take that same analogy, do we automatically promote our top performing SDR into the open AE position? Or what are the things that would make us say, hey, no, actually this, our third best performing SDR is most fitted to be an account executive rather than our best performing SDR. Obviously there's gonna be some nuances that are specific to the business itself. If outbound is an example, and you're not getting a lot of inbound, you don't have a lot of top of funnel inbound coming in the door, you need someone that's adept on the phone and has had a ton of success there, then maybe in that circumstance, you are waiting performance there because it directly translates into the responsibilities of the role. But it goes back to, again, what type of AE are you looking for? Are you looking for, are you in a more technical sale that's going to require a higher level of aptitude and less prospect? You can't, Performance maybe is heavily weighted, it sounds like. I, I yes. surely don't think create a culture where being in the middle is rewarded. And I think that can set a really bad precedent for the team. But I surely at the same time think that you have to weigh that alongside other factors that are important for the, the success of the role. I've surely been pushed into scenarios like that in the past where you have, you almost have to hire the top performer because what, how does that look? But I think that's where as a leader, you have to sometimes stick to your guns and why doing that background work beforehand is really important to justify why that's the case. And then having those conversations with them individually out. When thinking about promoting from within, building a program, we're going to promote from within and we're going to build top performers that way. What are mistakes that people should watch out for to avoid? I touched on at the beginning, surely just not really having any framework or process around it. I think if you're just flying by the seat of your pants, then you're not going to really be, be able to do that. So is, is um, part of that framework and process that even if it's going to be an internal hire, you're still going to put people through an interview process. If we're losing the example for before around putting an SDR into an AE role, I think for one, you have to honor the process and put people through it because look, just because you're a top performer, if you come into that interview and you're kicking your feet up and you're not prepared, you don't have questions, you're not inquisitive and, and trying to understand what's important. You haven't done your research and preparation. That doesn't, that's not a great look for someone that's looking to be promoted either. So to, to go back to what you asked before, I think that performance in that situation can make or break you. So I think that nothing's guaranteed by any way, shape or form. It starts with that. And yeah, I do think, I think it's just as much the experience for the individual interviewing as it is for me trying to find the person. If you're going to build that culture and create that environment where if you come to work and you put your best foot forward and you're engaged and involved and you're doing what to ask of you, then I think you have it. You should have an opportunity to sit down with me or someone else to, to talk about 
why you're a good fit for the role and what you bring to the table. I think that's the right thing to do. I think while it might be more time consuming on, on the part of myself or the leader, I, I think that's how you keep people engaged. I think on the other side of that, regardless of how those interviews go, taking the time to then sit down with each of those individuals that interviewed with you and give them actual feedback, especially when you're early in your career, you need to be able to give that guidance and move that along so that when the next, next opportunity does arise, they're ready for it and they could jump at. I totally agree. I'll say this is a mistake that I've made in the past before where I was like, okay, I have this role. I know who I want to fill it. They're on the current team. I'm just going to put them in it. And I think I'm grateful that I had other people that came up to me and said, hey, Lucas, you did this wrong. It was unfair to us that I didn't know that this position was open. I didn't get have an opportunity to apply for it, to interview for it. And so I learned that lesson the hard way. And I'm grateful that I had people on the team that were able to point out to me that I made that mistake. We've been talking about how to get the right people into the right seats. And the other part that, that you mentioned early on, right back at the beginning, is making sure that you manage those people the right way and create this, the right environment for them and enable them to succeed. Can you tell us a little bit about what some of your guiding principles are for how to do that there? You just gave that example, I think, as, as an important one. Everyone has a voice. You're fortunate where you can be in a place where people on the team feel comfortable coming to you and saying, hey, this didn't work and this is why and be able to share that feedback. I think for one, it starts with just creating that open, inclusive environment where people feel like they can contribute and share their thoughts and their viewpoint. Some of the best ideas that I've executed on have come from feedback from the team and not partially because we give them the venue to do it and the opportunity to share, but also because I ask. I think a lot of times it's lost on leaders come in and just sit in their phone and say, hey, this is what we're going to do. But it means a lot actually to just ask the question. You don't have to do it, but just to ask. So people feel like their thoughts and their viewpoints value. What's really important is, for one, we talked about the people and you can't do anything without that. I think second piece is creating a high level of accountability. And that goes in a bunch of different ways. Transparency and accountability come together. If I'm clear and concise and transparent about what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how we're doing it, and I'm clear about those expectations, then as a leader, I need to be able to hold you accountable to that. And that's accountable to the effort side, to hey, this, I heard you do this on the call. I would have done this differently. This is what we've talked about in the past. And then I think transparency around decisions that are made, why we're making them. I'm doing it this way. This is how I'm asking you. It all comes back to in some way, shape or form, some variation of communication and how we operate in that overall framework. When the team feels comfortable and supportive and you're invested in them, it's a lot easier for you to be honest and open and ask for that support. By because of that, they feel more comfortable sharing thoughts and viewpoints with you and you've created that environment there. And then around all those thoughts and whatever we're executing on, being accountable to the good and the bad. When things are going great, let's talk about why. Let's prop people up. Let's talk about why they're doing it well and let's iterate on that. When things aren't going well, I want to be just as comfortable not to shame anyone or make anyone feel bad about it. But if they're comfortable with it, let's use this as a learning opportunity so we all get better as a team and the, the team feel uncomfortable and support where they can do that and, and operate in that way. A lot of leaders are either naturally more comfortable with the, let's call it the EQ side, the relating to people, the building strong relationships, or the accountability side. If you're better at one as a leader, you probably have to get better at the one that's less natural to you. Tell me more about the accountability in terms of what are the things that you do to hold people accountable in this environment? I was probably the EQ guy first, and it took some growing into the accountability side because it's really easy to sit there and be like, hey, you were supposed to do 50 calls yesterday. You did 30. What the heck's going on here? But 
that doesn't really do anything, right? Like just by tell, they know, you should know where you're at and what you're supposed to do. I think for me, it took a long time to find that balance of frankly seeking to understand. It's about, hey, I've set, as long as you're comfortable that you've set those clear expectations. I think for me, what was a little tougher and what I had to grow into is how do you ensure that the individual understands and is going to make that change from there forward around that sort of accountable to whatever X item they're supposed to be doing or should be doing, but doing it in such a way where you're not really coming down on them, but you're coming in with an, un- trying to understand like why, Hey, you were aware you were supposed to do this, but you made a conscious decision not to what's going on with you. What's challenging you right now? Is there an obstacle I need to remove? So I think trying to come in with the mindset of not that they did something wrong because they didn't do the thing they were supposed to do, but. A, what can I do to help you? And more importantly, is there something that's standing in your way that's inhibiting you from meeting those expectations? Because I think more often than not, and I think this is where COVID and I managed remote teams in the past, but I think became really prevalent. You have no idea what people are dealing with outside of work. I think there's such a huge aspect of that. I think when you get to know your people a little better, and I think that investment upfront, you start to pick up on some of those other pieces too. I think there might be something that's bothering them outside of work that was an issue there or taking a more personal approach with that person. But I think that's been where I've grown as a leader and how I've tried to improve those pieces. And I think at the same time too, publicly holding everyone at the same level. I think that you hear a lot about my top performer, that they're a lone wolf, they can do whatever they want. Maybe that's a conversation behind the scenes and my interaction with that individual is different. But from a team perspective, regardless of the size, I want to hold everyone accountable to the same expectation because it, A, it just becomes too complicated if you're doing it differently for everyone. You got to keep track of all that. But consistency and that level of being even keel as a leader, I think plays really well with the team overall. This is maybe an obvious question, but what happens to the culture when there are people that you've built these strong relationships with that you don't hold them accountable and everyone sees that you're not holding them accountable? When you're a very early, like even my early days, you're their friend, which you're, I think from an EQ perspective, your instinct is to like, let me be their best friend and then they'll work for me and they'll do more for me. But there's like that line there. So I think when you don't hold people at that level, I think everyone has a different view and an expectation of what a success looks like and what they should and shouldn't be doing. And I think that spreads you thinner as a leader. I think when you, depending on the levels of leadership in between you and the team, whether the front line, second, third, et cetera, it's that consistency, especially when you're scaling that allows for success and creates that framework. And I think you can't have almost like using, but like a dissension in the ranks. I think when you have that, it actually builds bad blood and there can be more resentment from a team perspective and maybe towards you or that individual. And that's where you start to lose that collaborative aspect of the team, that supportive aspect of the team when you're playing favors to someone. I don't think there's anything wrong with propping up a top performer or someone that's doing it well, but I think that there's a tongue in cheek way to, to maybe call a, hey, on the steel, et cetera, but you missed this piece here. I think we could all learn, Hey, we can still win without it, but this is why it's important. I think it goes back to the why behind a lot of it as well. That's a, I think a key point to remember is that like the greater damage is maybe not even to the person that you don't hold accountable. It's to everyone else seeing that and, and everyone else will see that you don't, you didn't hold this person accountable. There's going to be various reactions to that. Some of it is going to be, he didn't hold that person accountable. He's not going to hold me accountable. And other people are going to say, hey, I signed up to work here in a high performance culture and our leadership isn't holding people accountable and it's going to be a hit to their morale. It's not something that you probably see off the bat or maybe a month or two out. But if you continue to operating in that way, 
over six to 12 months, I imagine if you looked at day one to day 365, just you'd see a massive difference in how things were operated. So look, it's, it's not easy, just like anything, leading teams and managing teams and building these environments, especially when you're in a leadership position, you're balancing both sides where you're getting pressure and you have to report up around where you're at as a team and you have to drive that performance, but can't really drive the performance with a team that feels beaten down and, and not abused, but you're coming down there really hard. It's important to note that like you have to run the race and you run the race because you've done the training, you've worked really hard to prepare for that race and you need to let it play out. And it's towards the end of it and you get to the end of the fiscal year or the end of your quarter potentially where you're going to push a little harder. I think it goes back to that EQ. You have to know your team. You can't know your team though if you don't know the people that make up the team. If you don't have the framework around that team to set those values and culture, then you're just like walking around in the dark as a leader because you don't really know what buttons to push to have success. Thanks for sharing that. Is there any anything else you have to share along around the idea of mistakes to watch out for when building that environment of being a leader who both cares for their people and is willing to hold them accountable? Any mistakes that our listeners should watch out for? I, I don't think I've ever regretted caring too much for my team or the people that are there. I think I'll start with that. Look, sales is a tough job. There's a tons of highs and lows. It's a roller coaster ride. And then you factor in just the current climate we're in and the environment that we're selling in. It is tough sledding out there, regardless of how good your product is. So investing in your people, knowing that getting to know them, taking the time to understand what drives them, that I, I have very few regrets in doing that in my career where I think people can make mistakes and again, this is just my personal opinion. I think you, you can push too hard. I think that there can be almost too cold of an approach with the team and trying to distance yourself from them and what they're doing and really just push purely around the metrics. I think you have to balance everything. I think the, the biggest mistake I've made in my career, I think, is entering into an organization and let the organization dictate how my team should be run and not allowing myself and my personality and, and the type of person I am to come through and put my fingerprints on the team. I think I learned that the hard way. I think you've got to be who you are. And going back to your question from a little bit ago, look, if you're not an EQ guy and you're an accountability guy, then you got to girl, you got to live that way and you've got to learn, but you've got to hone that other side and build that other muscle. Be true to yourself that authenticity really comes through when you're leading. I think it's really easy to see through that if you're not authentic. And so just being who you are, living what's important to you and your values and trying to apply that to the team are always going to work out. And you stray away from that and you get caught up in the, sort of all of the intensity of an organizational culture and from top down, I think that's where you can lose yourself and, and frankly lose the team at the same time. Great stuff. Brian, thanks for being with us today. Where can our listeners find you online? Where can you find me online? Check me out on LinkedIn, Brian Wiener. All right. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for joining us today on Building Elite Sales Teams. Please remember to give us a five-star review. And if you want more information about Yardstick, you can find us at www.yardstick.team. You can follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn by searching for Lucas Price.